Um, as you've picked up today is the start of our new series from the book of Ephesians. I was busy chatting when Gerald asked who's read the book. I, I did read it this week. If you didn't see my hand. Um, actually, one of the things, one of the ways I read it this week was to listen to it um, on my phone. I don't know whether you're aware. Uh, well, I down- downloaded the ESV version from um, a site somewhere. I can't remember who it was now. But you can choose um, audio, and Kirsten um, Getty reads um, the passages, the whole Bible is covered. And it was wonderful, just lay in bed, just hearing these beautiful Irish um, tones coming through as she, unpal- as she read um, the book of Ephesians. This is a, it's a wonderful book, as those of you who have had a, a go reading through the whole um, book in one, one sitting, um, packed with, with treasures and, and insights on the, on the Christian faith contains probably some of the most well-known Bible passages, um, passages that I'm sure those who went to Sunday will probably heard right from your, child, your age as children um, that have become well-known uh, passages of Scripture. The grand theme of, of this, this book of Ephesians is uh, Christ and the Church. Uh, it answers the question, you know, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for us? And I'm looking forward to delving into its pages over these, these next few weeks. This will take us to the end of November. Uh, there are a couple of spaces where um, weeks that we're going to have some other um, speakers and other themes being preached, but um, that's where we're heading. So as we see, as we open up this chapter, chapter 1, Paul is the author of this letter. And it says, it says that it's the letter to the church in Ephesus. We know it as the book of Ephesians, the, church, the letter that Paul wrote to this church in the city in Ephesus. Actually, that, that word Ephesus wasn't in the early manuscripts, the earliest manuscripts that they can go back to. So it's likely this was a, a letter that Paul wrote that was then circulated around the, the churches in Asia Minor. Rather than writing the same letter to everybody, he just did one and that was just passed around, read amongst the churches as it travelled from church to church in that province. So it's a letter for all the churches, not just Ephesus. A message for the whole church, a message for the church at Roval in 2022. As you've gone through, you may have picked up the letters divided into, into two parts. The first part is all about um, doctrine, chapters 1 to 3. Who is Christ? What has Christ done is covered in this first part of, of, the, let, of the letter. Chapters 4 to 6 are all about duty. If this is who Christ is, if this is what Christ has done for us, how then does that impact us? How does that affect the way we live out the faith day to day? What are the implications for us in the Christian life? So let's get into this um, opening section of this first chapter of Ephesians verses 1 to 14. It's a beautiful piece of scripture. It's almost like Paul is breaking out in song. Praise to God, what God, God has done for us through Christ. In the original Greek, and I don't speak Greek, but Um, Those who have done that may have picked this up. Um, I refer to rely on commentaries. Um, But verses 3 to 14 is one one sentence. There are no gaps. There are no full stops. Paul just blurts out, just going and going and going as he unpacks 
um, the joy he has that he's experienced. He wants the, the re- readers of his letter to understand the joy of knowing Christ, what Christ has done, the blessings that are in him. And it's like he just couldn't stop to stop, you know, put a full stop. He just kept on. I don't know whether he was actually um, um, dictating this to a scribe. The poor scribe would be scribbling away as fast as he could as Paul just kept pouring out praise after praise to God in these verses. A song of celebration of the way God has blessed us. The incredible gifts that we have in Christ. What's one of the best gifts you've ever received? I've thought about this for myself um, and I can think of a few. One of the ones that is probably the most recent is uh, this picture on the screen. It's an antique typewriter. (laughs) What a gift. (laughs) I was looking for one of these for so long and my whole family knew that every time we went past an op shop or a second-hand shop, I'd browse through and the ones that were there were rubbish and those that were really good were just, I thought, oh, I'm not going to pay that much money. But I, I, I was not, I'm not a typist, but I just love the design of a typewriter, the way it works. Um, and this is what this became a, a wish list of mine. And then one, one um, Christmas morning, I think it was the last morning that we were together as a family before our daughter went back to New Zealand, uh, opened up this gift and it was a typewritten note in a handwritten typewriter, like a manual typewriter. And it told me to go somewhere and I went into the room and found this wrapped typewriter. It was amazing. I was so overwhelmed by that. put all the money together to come up with this gift that I wanted. I wonder what your, what, what a, um, a special gift is that you have received. The gifts that Paul is speaking about here aren't the temporary things that we uh, may have on our Christmas wish list or birthday wish list or treasures that may rust and decay. These are eternal gifts, eternal gifts that we experience in the spiritual world. They belong to all Christians the moment we accept Jesus as our Saviour. Spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And in this passage, Paul explains three blessings of being a Christian. So let's unwrap these gifts and uh, discover what they are and why they are such amazing blessings. The first blessing that Paul outlines, not the one I wanted, sorry, is we have been chosen, chosen by the Father. Long before we ever accepted Jesus as our Saviour, God chose us. God chose us to follow Jesus, uh, follow the Father. This, this gift that Paul is outlining here um, is the doctrine of election and predestination. Big words, or predestination at least. And there's probably no other gift 
explained in scripture that has divided the church and caused so much um, um, disunity and disagreement than this gift of predestination. Maybe the gift of tongues is another one of those, those big ones that cause some division. But many Christians find this idea that, that God chooses some and not others to be his children causes some angst for a lot of people. What, what is this all about? What is God doing in this? Where is God's grace, God's goodness, God's love in choosing some and not choosing others? Theologians can't reach agreement on this. So I'm not going to take time today to try and unpack that and explain it. It's a mystery. We don't understand it fully. We we will never understand what exactly is behind this whole idea of God choosing, predestining, choosing before we were born who was going to follow him. We have to wait until we get to the other side of eternity and ask God, God, what did you mean by that? It's caused us Incredible brain um, energy to try and work out what is going on. If you can't wait that long, MST, the Melbourne School of Theology, has a course just for you. Theology 103, the doctrines of grace and eschatology. If you don't want to do that, come have a chat with me and we'll have a talk about it. So let's look at what the Bible says, not maybe unpacking all the theology behind it. What does the Bible say about this idea of God choosing us? Look at verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. When the creation of the world was just an idea in God's head, God determined to make us who didn't exist, his own children, through the work of Jesus Christ, which hadn't yet taken place. He chose us. We were unholy. We were blameworthy. Deserving not adoption, but judgment. But he chose us to be his children, to be holy, to be blameless. He showed us mercy by not punishing us the way we deserved and gave grace, which is something that we don't deserve. Do you catch the difference between those two? Mercy and grace. Mercy is God not punishing us for what we deserved. Grace is God giving us something that we don't deserve. I'm not sure this would happen, but um, just imagine for a moment that you are, you've been pulled over by a cop doing 100 kilometres an hour. Or they say, so let's just break it 10 kilometres an hour, an, hour, an hour over the speed limit. And he's pulled you over and he comes up to the door and he's feeling generous. And he says, I, I, I want you to know that you have just broken the law. You have been going 10 k's over the speed limit the fine for that is $320 and the loss of three demerit points. It sounds like I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> um, wasn't quite that much, but it was close. But you know what? I'm going to let you off. 
I'm not going to issue you a ticket today, but head off on your way and just watch your speed next time. That's mercy. It's unheard of in this world of cops pulling over, but it's probably even more unlikely the cop will then give you a $100 Coles gift card. (laughs) That's grace. (laughs) Mercy is not punishing you for what you deserve. Grace is giving you something you don't deserve. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Not punishing us for what we deserve, but giving us something we don't deserve. Choosing us adopting us into God's family. When we were in Ecuador, um, a couple, we, discovered, we heard about a couple who had come from the UK to adopt an Ecuadorian child. Um, their names were Mike and Rosemary. And they'd done all the paperwork in the UK. All the lawyers had said, no, this little boy in the orphanage, he's now ready for you to come and adopt. It'll just be a matter of come for a couple of weeks and we'll get the paperwork done and you can go home. So they came to Ecuador and um, had all these hoops to go through. They'd do something, and no, no, there's a bit more to do, this, this, and just kept going on and on. went on for several weeks. To, to the time that the husband, Mike, had to go back to England because he just had to go, he had work to go back to. So um, over that time, we'd befriended them, spent a lot of time with them, and we said, look, Rosemary can come and stay with us while you do the final, it should just take another week or two. Well, it, it took a long time. I, I think it was more than two weeks. Um, lawyers were working on it, getting everything done. And they got to the point of all the stuff was done, they didn't have the final bit of paper. All the verbal stuff was also, no, you're re- it's all done, just waiting now for the paper. And somehow they made this decision, the lawyers, just get on the plane and go and we'll finish up all the work. Well, the authorities heard this was happening and they grounded the plane, a Lufthansa plane. And um, they were stuck on the plane, but on all the things they had to do, just kept changing and changing and changing. And so in the end, Lufthansa took off with this family on board, the, the, the mother and, and, and Leonardo, the little boy. Uh, Ecuador grounded Lufthansa for several months <laughs> as a result of that. But here was a couple who did everything they could because of their love for this little boy and wanted to give him a life that he couldn't have in this orphanage in Quito, in Ecuador. Went through every hoop, making sure everything they could do to have this little boy join their family. Uh, Glenda and I went to visit uh, Mike and Rosemary in England a few years later, and here was Leonardo, a teenager, their only child, calling them mum and dad. Incredible, generous love like this, God has shown to us. Adopting us into his family, showering us with his love, making us his sons and his daughters. Before creation, before time began, God chose you, God chose me. Chose us to have all the rights of a son. Now, just a comment on what Paul is talking about here about having the sonship, the rights of sons, in verse 5. In the Old Testament, it was the firstborn sons that got everything of the father, the land, the property, everything. But through Christ, all of us, sons, um, daughters, um, men and women, male and female, 
are adopted into God's family and have the right of sonship that was in this culture of the time. And not only that, but as children, we get to call God our Father. The writers of the Old Testament only refer to God as Father 14 times. And in those times, it's impersonal. It's the nation see God as their Father. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, Jesus addresses God only as Father. 60 times in the Gospels. He never used any other term apart from Father, except when he was dying on the cross, quoting Psalm 22. No one in the history of Israel had ever called God Father like that. And not only did Jesus use, he didn't use the, 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 the respectful name or, the, or the, um, um, the formal word people would use for Father, he used the Aramaic word for Father, which is Dad, Abba, Daddy. That's how God, how Jesus spoke of his Father. Well, the early church adopted this principle, that this, this um, um, this term for God. Paul says in Romans 8.15, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and we cry out, we call out, Abba, Father. As followers of Jesus, you are an adopted son and daughter of God. We get to call him Dad. We get to call him our Heavenly Father. We enjoy his tender love as he provides for us, our daily needs, as he forgives us when we mess up. He protects us from harm. He corrects us when we're going off the rails. He showers us with his his unmerited undeserved kindness. He just can't stop loving us. We enjoy our Heavenly Father's constant attention to our prayers. He's not like a dad who falls asleep, never gets grumpy or uninterested, never powerless to help us, unsure what he should do. We get to whisper into the ear of the Creator. And one day, we'll get to enjoy eternity with our dad, with our Heavenly Father. I love this image that Richard um, Koken presents in his book, Ephesians for, for You, as he describes what it, is, what it might be like when God welcomes us into eternity. I'm so glad to welcome you to my home at last, for I chose you before I made the world. I sent my son to die for you on the cross. I arranged history to ensure your birth and to steer your life. I brought someone to explain the gospel to you and opened your eyes to recognise Jesus as your Saviour and Lord. I carried you when you were weak and held on to you when you tried to run away. And now finally, I can welcome you into my home. It's good to see you. I've loved you for a very long time. This is the first blessing we have in Christ. We've been chosen for adoption by the Father. Chosen 
before the very foundations of the world. What an amazing gift. The second gift that we receive that Paul outlines is the one that I picked up wrong before. We are redeemed. Redeemed by the Son. Verses 7 to 10. Redemption is a, um, a price you pay to free someone. The common word in Roman society, um, slaves could be redeemed by the payment of, a, of an amount of money. Either they could raise that money themselves as slaves or someone would pay that on their behalf. And so here in verse 7, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. The story, or this story might help us unpack a little bit more of what redemption looks like in practice. In a city on the shore of a great lake lived a little boy who loved the water and loved sailing. And with the help of his dad, this little boy spent many, many weeks um, making a beautiful model boat, which he began to sail on the edge of this lake. But one day, a sudden gust of wind took this little boat that he'd made and took it out to the depths of the lake and um, out, out of sight, and he had lost it. And he was distraught, he went home totally upset. And day after day he would walk around the shore of this lake trying to see, maybe the boat got swept up into the shore somewhere, amongst the bushes, on the rocks. But he never found it. Then one day as he was walking through the streets of the town, he saw his beautiful boat in a shop window. And he approached the shopkeeper and told the man, that's my boat, I lost it, that, that's my boat, Dad and I made it. But the old owner told him, well, it's not your boat anymore, little boy, because I paid big money for this from a fisherman who found it. And so the little boy took to work, um, doing everything he could to earn money. And finally he returned to the shop with his earnings and paid for this boat and as he took it from the shopkeeper, he held it in his, in his arms and he said, with great joy, you are now twice mine. I made you and now I've brought you back. Christ has redeemed us. God made us and he's brought us, brought us back. He's paid the price for us to become sons and daughters of God. And that price was Jesus' blood. We're going to um, see as we go through Ephesians, actually the next, beginning of the next chapter, Paul describing uh, the natural condition of us in our sinful state. Dead, captive to um, the pull of the world, in the grip of Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of the air is how Paul describes him. Appeasing our sinful appetite time and time and time again. We were enslaved to sin like this. But Jesus sets us free. He died to liberate us from the misery of captivity to sin that Paul describes in the next chapter. He paid the price to set us free. Our being chosen by God for adoption as 
sons and daughters is reason for great celebration. But so too is what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We're free from the bondage and the penalty of sin. We are forgiven for all our sins. And scripture sings the truth and the fullness of this forgiveness. You'll see some um, verses on the, on the screen where scripture says how God has forgiven us. He's removed sin from his sight when he's done that. And we can now live knowing that our sins are forgiven when we confess them. The debt has been paid. The guilt is now gone. We're pardoned and our sin is removed permanently. Corey Ten Boon, um, a Dutch lady who was involved in, in sheltering Jews during uh, World War II, had a great ministry. And she's taken um, this verse in Micah chapter 7 which talks about God burying our, our sins in the deepest sea. And she said once that God has, once God's thrown our, our sins into the sea, he puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. You can't go back to those sins and, and think, oh, it's so terrible, what I've done is so terrible. God forgives, he takes it away. It's no longer in God's account book. It's, it's, it's wiped out. And Paul reminds us in verses 7 and 8 why God does this. He does all of this because the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. God redeems us because of his great love, his grace that is overflowing in kindness. But we're not only redeemed from death and punishment, we're also redeemed for something else. Our redemption brings spiritual discernment. And so in verse um, 9, with all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. So what's the plan? What is God's purpose? See, in verse 10, to put into effect, when the time reached their fulfilment, unity in all things in heaven and on earth. Paul says God is restoring his order in creation bringing everything under the rule of Christ. Our building committee here is um, working with architects now to finalise the plans for the church build and, and engineers are going over the plans and finishing up all the, making sure everything is in place correctly. We're getting close to the work beginning. The divine architect God has published his kingdom construction plans. The foundations have been laid in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The completion of his glorious new creation is now just waiting for the right time. God has everything in control. God has everything planned. And doesn't that give us great hope and great comfort when we see the turmoil and the um, upheaval and uncertainty in the world today. God has a plan and we know what it is. There's a certain and glorious future waiting for us as believers. Even as we may struggle now 
with being part of this world. Disease, bad health, bodies giving up on us, personal failures, financial concerns, relationship issues. Whatever we face in life now, we have confidence and assurance that a better life is coming. A time is coming when there will be a new heaven and a new earth when, when King Jesus ushers in his kingdom. So God has blessed us by choosing us for adoption, by redeeming us through his son. And the third gift is we are sealed for inheritance with the Holy Spirit. Paul begins this um, section in verse 11 by celebrating um, how his Gentile readers are now included in the Jewish, um, God's redemptive plans for the Jews. In verse, um, verse 11, he says, In him we, we Jews, were chosen. Sorry, I've got the uh, wrong one there. No. In you, in him, we Jews were chosen, verse 13, and you, you Gentiles, you also are now included in Christ. We're going to talk about this more when we come to chapter 2. But for now, I just want to focus on verses 13 and 14, where Paul explains the work of the Holy Spirit who indwells every believer at the time we accept Jesus as our Saviour. So verse 13, Paul says, the second half of this, um, when you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. There are two aspects Paul talks about here, about the Holy Spirit mentioned in these verses that probably needs a little bit of explanation. First is, what does it mean that we're marked by the Holy Spirit with a seal. What does that mean? And how is the Holy Spirit a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance? In the ancient world, an owner marked something he owned by putting a brand on it, a seal on it. In Roman culture, a slave owner could brand his slave to say, this slave is mine. Cattle owners do this, or used to, I don't know whether they still do this, um, certainly in, in ranches or in, in um, properties where the cattle just roam free, um, cows were, were branded to know whose cows these belonged to. Thoroughbred horses today are still branded. If you have a pet dog or a pet cat here in Victoria, you're required to have it microchipped, a modern high-tech form of branding. And that's what God's done for us. God's tagged us. God's left his mark on us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 16, the Spirit himself, Paul says, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Along with being marked with a seal to say, we are God's own, the Holy Spirit serves as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, we're familiar today with how 
a deposit works, we're buying a house, we're buying a car, booking a holiday. The deposit is a, a down payment, a promise of more that's going to come. The first instalment of what, whatever we, we're going to be buying. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of what's to come. The first instalment of what God has promised. When I asked Glenda to marry me, I gave her an engagement ring. And, and that, that ring was a sign that we were going to get married. And the months that followed that were exciting as we, we planned the wedding, as we, we dreamed our life together um, following that was coming up. But that engagement was really just a foretaste of what was to come. Married life is, is so much more fuller and richer than engagement. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. He is giving us a foretaste, a, 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 a taste of what it's going to be like when we receive our full inheritance, all that God's promised. We get to experience and to enjoy God's blessings and God's promises partially now. But in eternity, they're going to be realised in all their fullness and all their glory and all their wonder. So we come to the verse, verse 14, the last part of, of this section, and Paul, Paul's um, great song of praise is, is about to reach its conclusion. One long, continuous, breathless sentence. But before he stops for air, Paul declares this last phrase at the end of verse 14. All of this is to the praise of his God's glory. If you look back up to verse 3, you'll see that Paul begins with the same praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then in verse 6, we are again called to the, the praise of his glorious grace. Again in verse 12, for the praise of his glory. And finally here in verse 14, Again, to the praise of his glory. I think Paul is trying to tell us something in these repeated phrases. And I think it's this. God has blessed us. God has blessed us abundantly out of his great mercy and grace. And our response must certainly be to praise him. We're God's, chosen by him, adopted into his family. We're redeemed by his son. He's paid the price to set us free. We're forgiven fully. The Holy Spirit, our inheritance is sealed by him. Our inheritance guaranteed for eternity. This, Paul says, is who we are in Christ. This is us. This is us today. This is what Christ has done for us. These blessings are meant to stir up in us, stir our hearts to live in praise, or live, live through the praise of God, to serve him with worship in all our lives, to open our mouths and declare what God has done for us. 
How good and praiseworthy is our God. When we're feeling sorry for ourselves, when we're going through a difficult time, we can turn to this passage and be reminded of how extravagantly generous and good and blessed we are knowing Christ and knowing what he's done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we can call you our Heavenly Father. That is amazing. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for this reminder from Paul of of the tremendous blessings you have given us for choosing us to be your children, for adopting us into your family, making us co-heirs with Jesus, for allowing your, your son to die on the cross, paying the ransom to set us free through whom we have the forgiveness of sin, the removal of our guilt, for giving us your Holy Spirit who makes us as your own, who guarantees all the blessings and the promises contained in your word, an inheritance that is ours, secure for eternity. Oh Father, we love you, we praise you for who you are and for all you have done for us. May our lives reflect the the, the gratitude, the the thanks that we have for, for all your blessings. May our lives be be testimony of your goodness and and your grace and your mercy all the days that you give us. We love you, Father. We praise your glorious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.